0: Australia podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Hello. In today's episode, I have a very special guest with me, Dr. Heather Clark. Heather is a cultural historian who is very passionate about colonial dance and music and is very knowledgeable about life on board the convict transportation ships. Welcome, Heather.
1: Thank you for inviting me to come along and talk about this area of research. Um, Would you just
0: start with how, what what was the conditions like on the ships, you know, the early days of transportation?
1: In the very early days, it did vary quite a bit. The first fleet was comparatively a a good journey. Uh, The convicts were fairly well cared for, Captain Philip had a duty of care and he recognised that and he he did what he could to make the journey as pleasant as it could be under the circumstances uh, and he made sure that the convicts were able to get fresh food when they stopped in in the ports. So um, that one wasn't too bad. Uh, the second and the third fleets were very bad. They were yeah. really some of the worst. Um so they had captains on those ships who had been used to transporting slaves. So they were paid when the, the convicts were loaded, but they weren't paid um, when they were unloaded. So they had no, um, no interest really in looking after the convicts at all. And in fact, they profiteered somewhat through being able to save on food Uh, So they gave short rations to their convicts and um, a lot of them were starving and they were able to sell that food when they arrived in the colony. So So the government did allocate
0: a certain amount of food for each convict, but they didn't necessarily get that. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's right. Um, And there's some awful stories about um, them being so, so hungry that if a convict... Next to them died in chains. They wouldn't report the fact that they died until it became um, you know mm, so oh obvious, because they, they wanted oh the food that were, was allocated to those, those dead convicts. So it was a really, really dreadful trip, those ones. and when they arrived in Sydney, a lot of the convicts weren't even able to walk. Um, so they took them up to the hospital and, and they died on the way and so on. So that was just awful. Um, but they did have um, inquiries about what had happened. Um, and although they, they recognised it was a terrible situation, they didn't actually, um, the captains didn't actually suffer any convictions or anything. Um, it was just a, a wrap over the knuckles, really. Wow. But the government... Begin to put um, um, regulations in place then, and that continued to improve as time went on.
0: Yes. Was there a big turning point where conditions got? There was.
1: Yes. Yeah. There was a, a major turning point. Um, it was when there were three convict ships arrived. There's on one of your other podcasts you talk about the Surrey. Yeah. That was one of them. Um, and the three Bs, and um, what's the other it one? I think it was
0: General he- Hewitt was the
1: third. That's right, General <laughs> Hewitt. Yes, they arrived in the colony um, in eighteen fourteen, and they'd had a, a large, um, a large number of people had died, not just the convicts but also the crew, um, and that it was so alarming that. Um, Macquarie, who was the governor at the time, appointed William Redford, who was a surgeon. Uh, He asked him to write a report about what had happened. And William Redford um,
0: was a convict himself, wasn't he?
1: He was, yeah. He has very interesting history as well. Uh, But he wrote what has become Australia's first public health document, And uh, he noted things like the lack of hygiene, the lack of ventilation, um, and a number of other things he listed. And that document was sent off to London to the transport commissioners. And I think it's quite remarkable that they paid attention to that immediately and put all the the recommendations that Redfern had suggested In place, and that really changed the whole um, the whole way people were transported. So, really, a remarkable um, document. And Redfern himself is he's a hero, really, of 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 Australia, because he changed things so much. And he's not terribly well recognised for the enormous amount of influence he had.
0: Yeah, that's right. And was he responsible for um, there being a surgeon on every ship who would, you know, keep a journal and look after, you know, their responsibility was to look after the convicts?
1: Yes, yes. So what had happened um, previously is that they had surgeons, but they were often um, men who were not terribly well qualified. They were men who suffered from drunkenness, so they couldn't hold down a proper job. And so they put these sort of dregs of the occupation on convict ships. And they didn't actually have a lot of say. The captain had complete authority. So when Redfern made his suggestions, he he said that they should appoint men who were properly qualified um, and that they should have absolute control over the the treatment of convicts. convicts. The captain had control of the the ship and the running of the ship, but it was the surgeon himself who could control what happened with the convicts. And so we have wonderful records, Mm. uh, the the medical journals from those surgeons, because a lot of them are still in existence and gradually they're becoming um, digitised and people are transcribing them. Um, a lot of them them just deal with, you know, um, the illnesses that people had, but uh, many of them detail the daily routines that they put in place to keep convicts um, healthy. And
0: and the weather yeah. and, and people they met, and it's, it's very interesting. Some of them, they put a lot of detail. Yeah. Some even did drawings, I believe, in some of the journals. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're a wonderful resource. We're so lucky to have
0: them. Um, so what was his recommendations? Like he, you talked about ventilation and did he set like, a, you know, they should have so many hours per day up on deck or exercise or, you know, that kind of thing? Yes,
1: yes, yes. Well, one of the things that they, they realised, they didn't actually understand about bacteria and infection but they, they'd known for a long time that ventilation and hygiene were very important. So Captain Cook had, had been a good one for that. He'd been very strict in keeping, um, you know, the court was where people slept. He was very strict on hygiene and that, that carried through the Navy. Um, so ventilation and hygiene and warm clothing are things that seem you know, so basic today, uh, they understood about scurvy, so they gave people an issue of lime juice, which and they captain didn't always Arthur like. And Captain Arthur did sometimes... that as
0: well, didn't he? He, he gave them
1: yes. um, lemon
0: juice on their yeah. voyage out. So, That's yeah, right. early on it really depended upon the captain and their knowledge and what they were like. Mm.
1: Yes, yeah. But it's very interesting to think about um, the way that we we get this information Um, because you often don't hear what the convicts themselves are saying, but Mm. it's the people who are observing them. So, you know, the officers or the captain or the surgeon were writing these accounts. And then sometimes you get better educated convicts who were in that situation and and talking and writing about what was going on, so in a way you get quite a skewed view of what it may have been like. Yeah, uh, for the, yeah. the common convict. Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, thing that you've got to take the everything you read in context. What was yes. life really like then? Mm. So an the interesting historical um, aspect. Yeah.
0: Did he recommend that they be in chains?
1: No, no, that was that was one of the things that he, he, he was quite against. So often as soon as they left sight of land, they would take the irons off. But again, it would depend a little bit on who was in charge at the time and what their attitudes were. Redfern himself thought it was very important that they stayed on deck as much as possible and that they had fresh air and he was always so very strict about cleaning um, when when they came up in the, the daytime that they brought their bedding up and aired it and um, that they would clean below decks very thoroughly and that was a daily regime that came to be put in place.
0: Oh, that's good. Um, and when, what did they do with their spare time? Like when they were up on deck, were they just sitting around? Were they doing? Were they scrubbing the decks, or you know, entertaining themselves for that period of time?
1: Yes, because it was a long time, and and one of the things was that people get very bored. Um, and, and I ma- imagine
0: they wouldn't them. want the convicts to be too idle, because you know, <laughs> there might be a mutiny or something.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they did try to keep them occupied. Uh, so yes, there was a lot of cleaning, scrubbing the decks, and all those sorts of things. And the women were often given um, things to sew, uh, so they made up garments that could be sold when they arrived in the colony. Um, they they used to pick oakum, which was something. Mm, hated. Um, they did in workhouses too. Yeah, 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 that wasn't a nice job. wasn't Horrible job. Um, they did do some other things, didn't they? So the other thing they did was that they were educated. They had schools. They had the opportunity to read and write and to learn that and basic maths and things. Um, and that was quite um, that was instituted fairly early on and kept going right through that that convict transportation period. Um, the other thing, which of course, just me, were allowed to amuse themselves with music and dance.
0: Yes, um, please tell us about
1: that. Well, a lot of um, the surgeons uh, realised that thing was a very um, it was very beneficial for people's health and also their mental health. So there's a lovely. Um, quote about the tranquility of mind that one surgeon attributed to to letting people dance which I think is a lovely lovely quote um, but a lot of them thought that it was it had lots of health benefits um, and as I was saying earlier they didn't really understand about the the spread of disease so um, I was thinking of a jail in Cork when they had the cholera ep- epidemic mm-hmm. in the 1830s, that they actually thought that dancing could could stop the spread of cholera. Oh. So that was in the Cork, <laughs> Cork jail. It was quite remarkable. And then some of those convicts that had been in the jail at that time came out as convicts to Australia. So you wonder if they kept dancing Um, So we have about 35 references to, um, direct references to to surgeons who thought dancing was was beneficial. But there was only one that we found so far, which was Thomas Braidwood, Um, and he thought that all amusements were bad and convicts shouldn't be allowed to amuse themselves because they should be reflecting on improving their lives and he thought that um, dancing would make them think of their former lives and the depravity and vice that uh, oh I see were part of the, the you know their former lifestyles but he's the, actually the only one who I found who said that which is interesting um, A lot of surgeons made no mention of it because it was it was such an everyday sort of thing I think that, you know, often people don't think to write about things that are commonplace. So So although you've got a few surgeons who say, you know, we had dancing every day, others make no mention of it. So we don't know whether they approved or disapproved or mm. whether whether they did it anyway. We just don't know. Want to
0: hear more great stories about convicts? Then grab a copy of Convict Sydney, the real-life stories of 32 prisoners. From Elizabeth Sullivan... was known about town as the fighting hen of Cook's River, with her flamboyant dress and tough countenance. To Robert Sidway, who entertained local residents by hosting dramatic performances in his theatre. These colourful characters and their individual experiences offer a broader insight into the daily happenings of Sydney and the convict system. To get your copy, just click on the link in the show notes. So when I think of dancing from that period, I'm thinking BBC um, productions of Pride and Prejudice, you know, Jane Austen style Regency dancing, Uh, but I can't quite fit that in with being on a ship with convicts. So can you kind of explain what kind of dancing it was?
1: Well, you're right in saying that, that it was that type of dancing, so that was known as English country dancing and it was throughout all all of the British Isles, wherever you came from. Um, the way they presented it in Jane Austen movies is perhaps not terribly accurate. We know that it was very energetic generally. It mm-hmm. wasn't this sedate um, version that you see in those movies often. There was probably a place for that in genteel society. Um, well, yes. Was there different it, dances for different classes? A little bit, but essentially they were much the same dances, um, much the same music. Um, so if you think of a, a modern-day bush dance and and you think of the sort of energy you get in those... Um, I think that's how the convict dancers looked. They were they were quite energetic, yeah. Um, but definitely group dances, so people would join hands, and there's a lot of evidence about how that is um, such a good thing for your brain and, and your body. It gives you a social connection and releases endorphins, yeah, definitely. Your you hormones and all that sort of thing. Was but it very
0: also- um, male roles and female roles, like did the men and the women dance? Um, did they dance together on the mixed um, sex transportation ships, do we know? Did You know, did it I happen on the know, male ships it. as well as the female ships?
1: And yeah, you know, I think in those days, like people did, like they did dance as couples. So you get, if you went to a, a, a hop shop, as they used to call them, for a lower order dance. Yeah, people did dance, um, men and women, um, just like they would today. Um, But also dancing was just an activity that people enjoyed. So uh, a bit like being on a cricket team, if you like, that men would dance together and not think anything about it. And, in -hmm. fact, um, in polite society, it was a little bit frowned on for men to dance together. But in lower order society, men dance together all the time. And on the convict ships, I would think that there wasn't mixed dancing. I think they were just all women or all men dancing. There may have been instances where they mixed, but I I think generally they tried to keep them apart. Mm. Um, The other form of dancing they did, um, which is a, a form of solo dance, which people do in a group, but they just dance by themselves, is um, step dancing. So that's the precursor of um, tap dancing. Um, Oh, yeah. If you're familiar with river dance, you know, that that's the forebear of that. Well, that was a very strong tradition in England as well as um, Ireland and Scotland. So now you, you don't think of... English people doing that sort of dancing, but they did in those days. It was a very strong tradition um, and it really only died out in Australia in the early 1900s. So that's the other thing they did um, and you don't need a partner for that. So I think that was probably quite common. Um, and also you didn't even need a, a musician. You know, you could just hold the tune in your head or someone might sing a, a song and you'd dance, you beat out the rhythm.
0: Well, that was was my next question. Um, Do you know if they had musicians or, you know, did random convicts have an instrument or was it quite organised where the surgeon's saying, right, you know, this is dance time, Uh, we have a musician? (laughs) How did it work? Or were they just clapping their hands and singing?
1: Well, I think it was all of those things. I think that you couldn't say that it was one rather than the other. There's certainly instances of surgeons talking about um, the ship's musician playing. So often they had fiddles because that was a the the most portable instrument. They had um, a fife and drum in one instance. So that's a fife like a flute and a drum. Um, Yes, sometimes it looks as though the surgeons have have definitely organised it and said, hey, this is dancing time. Oh, okay. And they're going to dance for two hours. Um, That seemed to be quite common. But other times I think it was probably just um, a convict might have had a fiddle um, because they they were known to be transportable instruments, strangely enough. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, there's certainly instances of um, convicts playing instruments. Yeah, I'm sure that would
0: have broken up their day immensely to have someone on board with a musical instrument. That would have been really lovely.
1: Yes, yeah. And there's uh, instances on the hulks, the hulks that were moored in the Thames, there's an account of um, a convict saying when they were locked in for the night that they could do whatever they want and one of the convicts had a clarinet. They were dancing to a clarinet. Which is really interesting to get those sorts of records. Hmm.
0: So, when do you think they learnt to dance? Do you think they grew up, and this was such a huge part of society that it was just happening all the time?
1: Yes, yeah, definitely. It was it was one of the key pastimes at that time. Everybody danced. So, if you're an educated person, you'd go and have formal lessons and and learn all sorts of graces you know there was a way to enter a room and a way for a lady to sit down and oh, yes. so on. but if you're in the lower classes there were still people who who taught dancing um and also it was just a you know part of everyday life really it was very very common um one of the things one of the resources i've looked at is uh the court reports from the Old Bailey. Oh, yeah. It's really interesting how many mentions of dancing. Really? In those yeah, so they'll talk about, um, you know, I was in this dance hall and I saw the prisoner leading down a country dance. <laughs> and it's fascinating little details. that, Like that probably doesn't mean much to you, but to me it tells me a lot about what sort of dances they were doing. You know, if they were dancing a reel or a jig or yeah. dancing yeah. on a, a cellar shutter or something like that, it gives me a lot of information. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating. The places you can find information about dancing. Did
0: they have certain songs for certain types of dancing or was it you know, they played music and they said, Right, we're doing this this type of dance?
1: I I guess the music at that time tended to be dance music, a lot of it, like jigs and reels and hornpipes. Um, The waltz was coming in at that time, like in the early days it was coming in. Um, People didn't waltz as a couple, but they used those tunes to do country dances with. Um, A lot of the the music was tied up with popular plays in the theatre as well. Oh, okay. so if you take a tune like Speed the Plough, which you might have heard of, it's a, it's a hornpipe. So that was a play in the theatre and the song came from, from the play and the, the tune came from the play. And it was very, very common to have um, uh, like a dance in the play as well, particularly as a final conclusion to show everyone was in harmony that they would have a dance, and they weren't complicated dancers, so they could people could watch them and then go home and, and dance the latest thing. So you get a, a whole popular culture um, centered around the theatre with song and dance and, and music. And what about when they got off the ships? Did that um,
0: did dancing be was dancing a big part of their lives? Do you think? Are there sources for that?
1: Yes, yeah. So in the colony, there's a lot of information from police reports uh, because not that dancing was illegal as such, but you needed a license if you had a public house. You needed a license to have dancing. Um, oh, so we really? get quite a lot of references about disorderly houses. So they called them disorderly. Um, they could be brothel, brothels. People seem to think that's all a disorderly house was, but it, hmm. it really just meant that they didn't have a licence and they were serving alcohol. Um, so they often called them um, fiddling fiddling and grog, sly grog shops. They right, them. okay. <laughs> so, uh, and also if complex were out without permission, then they were reported. So you get um, a constable going in and saying, "I saw this this man dancing an Irish jig, and he was he shouldn't have been there. He didn't have permission." And so again, those sorts of uh, references give us so much information about what was going on. Um, Do you know if they?
0: Um, so if they were doing it on the ships for exercise as an approved form of exercise, do you know if when they went to the barracks uh, they were doing it there?
1: Well, it's interesting because there was a jew's harp found in the floorboards of the the barracks, wasn't yeah. there, and a scrap of music. Um, so a jew's harp was a really common instrument for for working class people. Um, it doesn't, they're not very loud, uh, but anyone can play a tune on them. Um, so there's a the thought that, yes, perhaps they danced in the barracks when they were locked in for the night. Um, we haven't found a record of that as such, but there's a lovely record of two Irish men, uh, and they'd been at a wake, and they were coming back to the barracks um, and it says that they, they couldn't stop dancing because they've been at this wake. And the, the, um, the officers told them to stop dancing, but they just couldn't stop. They couldn't <laughs> stop them. They had the music in them. And dancing. Yeah, so I think that's a really interesting account.
0: Yeah, well, it's nice to hear when convicts have a nice time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I think that's, you've sort of hit the nail on the head a bit there because um, the authorities didn't want people to think that convicts were having a nice time. Yeah. So you may be familiar with the first play in the colony, um, which took place 18 months after they landed. So Mm -hmm. it was, and they were celebrating the king's. Birthday okay, and yeah. the convict put on the play. The recruiting officer. Well, Governor Phillip didn't write home and say, "Hey, the convicts put on this great play," because there was that thought, you know, convicts shouldn't be having a good time. Mm. So it was only through um, Collins writing about it that we know about it, um, and. Uh, I think a lot of that information was was suppressed. You know, they they didn't want people to be thinking it was good. Um and that's a, reflected a bit in um Commissioner Biggs who came to the colony in um the early 1820s. Yeah. He wrote that there were way too many um dance licenses being issued. Oh, okay. In, Yeah, and that it shouldn't be happening. You know, there were too many public houses and they were were issuing issuing too many licences for dancing. So, you know, he had that attitude. It wasn't about reforming convicts. It was about punishing them. Yeah. So that's um, they really tried to suppress that. And also um, on Norfolk Island in 1840, uh, McConaughey was there. And he was very keen on on um, reforming convicts. Yeah, he was he sounded he thought, like a great man. Yeah, and he thought music was a really good way to to give people something to you know to make their lives better and make them better people. Uh, and they had a, a, a similar celebration celebrating um, Queen Victoria's birthday. Oh yeah, and they had a, a lovely holiday, if you like, and they put on a, a play and um, had some dancing and and music in a, a concert. And when that was reported back in England, oh, there was all oh, hell broke loose. You know, what's he doing, making the convicts have a good time, letting them do these things? Yeah. So I think there was a lot of suppression of of that idea that that, you know, convicts could enjoy themselves. You can't have that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's sad, isn't it? (laughs) Mm. Um, So can you tell us some of the names of the popular dancers?
1: Oh, yes, there's a lovely account um, of a convict called Jeremiah Byrne and um, he was up in front of the court and he named the tunes that he played in the hop shop. So a hop oh, shop yeah. was named for a dance hall and he played in the rocks. And he names um, four tunes. So uh, one is um, blewett's jig, which is a tune that people still play today. It's a slip jig. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Paddy Carey is that another tune that's a, a jig as Irish well. A Irish one. Yeah, yeah, interestingly enough. But, that like, the culture was very um, spread across um, Ireland and England and Scotland, very much a common culture. So they they probably danced them a little bit differently, whether you're Irish or Scottish or English, but um, the same tunes. Paddy Ward's Pig. Now, we haven't been able to work out what that is, uh, (laughs) but uh, I think it was a jig as well. Um, and another tune, um, <laughs> oh, I can't remember what it was. Sorry. But um, if you're interested in, in those sorts of tunes, there was a convict fiddler called Alexander Lang. Oh, yeah. And he, he was sent from Perth in, in Scotland. Um, he'd been in the army and he'd been convicted of theft and he was sent to um, Tasmania. And so he, he lived his life there. Uh, and he was uh, obviously a, a well educated Scottish fiddler. Um, and he made a manuscript of his music, which oh is a fantastic resource. Uh, yeah. He wrote it in 1863. And it obviously was, you know, his collections of tunes he'd played all his life probably. Um, some of them he renamed for for people he knew, which was a common practice at the time. Uh, for instance, he took um, the Duchess of Sutherland's reel and named it um, Lady Franklin's reel. So <laughs> that was quite common to do that, you know, appropriation of tunes. But if you're interested in, in the, the repertoire, that is an excellent source, so many of the tunes he played were dance tunes.
0: Is there anywhere we can go and see them being performed? Is there any oh, YouTube videos or you know um, festivals where you kind of recreate the dances?
1: Uh, look, there really isn't. Um, the only thing I, I have is when I carried out the research at the Queensland University of Technology. We did a series of workshops. Um, so we took the, the names of tunes that we knew were played and we looked at the the types of dance that were put to those from sources at the time. And um, we danced those, we put them together. And some of our dancers had experienced this folk dance, but others um, had experience in dance forms that weren't related uh, and then a couple of people had no experience so it was really useful to put you know those three groups of people together yeah and, and see what we came up with uh, so I do have a video about that on my website at um, colonialdance.com.au excellent
0: I'll put uh, links I'll put- to this on the show notes
1: okay yeah so you can have a look at that which gives you a bit of an impression um, but it would be great um, to make more videos like that. Yeah. Yeah, would I'd work.
0: really love to see how it all how it all worked.
1: And yeah. and people
0: can go to your website to learn more about the conditions on the ships and dancing in the colonies.
1: Yes. Yeah. I, I'm building um, a, a whole section about dancing on the ships.
0: And you're also oh. on Facebook, aren't you?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the website and Facebook. Yes fantastic well i'll
0: put all those links in the show notes so if anyone is interested in learning more they can go and check that out thank you so much for joining us today this has been so interesting and it's really nice as i said before to talk about something joyful for the convicts you know a bit of fun and um a slice of culture that they took from their homes and brought to australia yes well
1: thank you very much it's lovely to talk about it (laughs) Thank you for
0: listening to the Convict Australia podcast. If you'd like to show your appreciation and get more involved, there are a number of ways you can. The first is by signing up to Convict Australia on Patreon, and you will get some perks like the Convict Australia newsletter. Secondly, leave a review and tell your friends and family. This really does make a huge difference. And lastly, join the Facebook and Instagram group Convict Australia. All the links I've mentioned will be in the show notes. Thank you again. Till next time.